0: Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Well, 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 good morning. I have uh, been reading my weather app telling me it's going to rain in 10 minutes, in 20 minutes, in 30 minutes, and uh, you know, as exact as the weather is, it's almost always wrong. I, you look at it in 10 minutes again, it readjusts. It's not 10 minutes it's going to rain. It's going to rain in 22 minutes. And it's only going to rain for eight minutes. And then it's going to... I'm just like, whatever. At <laughs> any anyway, rate, I'm glad you're here. You braved the uh, Minnesota weather <laughs> to come out and worship God. You brave, brave Southern California people. Exactly. Great to see you guys. Man. Yeah, we worshiped, didn't we? Hey, I want to give you a little pep talk, a coach's talk. I, uh, you know, two months ago, you know that I fell off a horse or it dismounted me. And and so I've been going through physical therapy to get my hip back into place, you know, because I got to last for 40 more years. And um, I I have a physical therapist that has this uh, sidekick. That, that he is awesome. You know, I'd go through the stretching and the ouches and the pain, and then I go do my exercises with him, and I wish I could put him into an app uh, because every single exercise, oh, you're looking good. Oh, yeah. Stretch it out. Oh, my gosh, look at you. And... <laughs> And Don't you want an app like that every morning? Mark, wake up. Oh, my gosh, you look good, Mark. <laughs> so I want to do that for you today and uh, give you a little pep talk because uh, all of us, we want to go the distance. Uh, we're, some of us are brand new Christians. Some of us are long, long-term Christians. But the question is, can we go the distance? And occasionally we need that pep talk that says, you look, look really, really good. So I've given you a handout. I want you to take it home and think about it. But real quickly, three things to think about for your life. Ignite, invest, invite. Real easy to to remember. But ignite, I want to encourage you daily to ignite your soul. Uh, We are poorest people, and the world wants... You to absorb all of its different values and perceptions of you every single day. And so we need to take time to find out what does God say about me? Not just what does the world say about me. To reignite my soul. The two basic ways I do that every day is a little bit of time in the word. It's my compass. It's true north to tell me What does God think about me? And and sometimes when I'm reading a passage, right now we're going through the reading of the Bible in Genesis. And sometimes you go through a period of time where you're reading the life of Jacob. And if you've never read the Bible before, you're going to get really confused at first. Because you think that every chapter of the Bible is a set of you need to do this. And so you read that Jacob had four wives, and you go home and say, okay, the Bible tells me I need to have four wives. So it takes a time to, to learn out that sometimes the Bible is saying that God is sovereign and he loves you in spite of your four wives, you know. And, 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 and so it's not always tit for tat, but I began this journey when I was a brand new Christian at 18, which is a couple of years ago. And... I have been doing it ever since, and and it just puts the grains of wood into my being. If you ever picture mahogany, really tight grains of wood, um, every time you read the Bible, it's telling you who you are. And if you don't find out who God thinks that you are, somebody else is going to tell you. And then I pray. And some of you, you're brand new at prayer. Some of you, I know you're prayer warriors. You're going to tell me you, you, you go and pray over in Assisi, Italy, with St. Francis, and you do all of this amazing stuff. But a lot of us are just brand new at prayer. So I'd just say, if you've never been a person of prayer, just give me five minutes. Give yourself five minutes. And if you said to me, "I need a model. I need a, an outline," how about the Lord's Prayer? It's awesome. Jesus invented it. And some people tell you, if you don't pray specifically, God won't answer your prayer. Hogwash. God answers general prayer as well. You know, think of it. If, 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 if you had a sore throat and you said, God, heal my sore throat, and, and you had cancer, and God heals your sore throat, but, and, you, and then God says, well, you didn't say, heal my cancer. What kind of God is that? So there's four things in the Lord's Prayer besides praise and honor is is have your will in my life. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give me what I need today, thy daily bread, Um, my daily bread. Third thing, forgive me. It's the idiot prayer. I've been an idiot. I've done stupid stuff, stuff I don't even know about, and make me a forgiving people. Don't make me one of these judgmental Christians, make me a forgiving, merciful Christian, and protect me, protect me from temptation and the evil one, amen. And what if you prayed that prayer, not only for yourself, but the people in your tent, the people, you know, your family, so forth and so on. Every day, you watch what begins to happen. So ignite your soul. Secondly, uh, invest. Invest, And this is where you get connected with the church. The church is, is best done as a we, not a me. And that's hard for those of us that are Americans because everything in America is individualism. I did it my way. But in the church, we, said, we say we did it our way. We did it God's way. And so we need each other. If you get sick, you get lonely, who's going to know? And so we want to always try to bond you to a few other people in the church that you're hooking arms with and you're doing live together. And in this handout, there's all kinds of ways uh, to get connected. And then a part of invest is investing your soul financially. Jesus talked more about money than anybody else, and it's not because he needed it. Don't ever think that God needs that. But it's connected to your heart. Money is one of the toughest things to do and it's one of the greatest blessings to say, you know what, it has no hold on my soul. In fact, I'm investing in the kingdom of God. And you guys are awesome in that. Thank you for being so generous and growing in generosity. And then thirdly, invite that means getting to know people around you. If you go to Starbucks, find out the person's name. You know they already know your latte. They see you come in, and they see you latte written on your forehead. Uh, well, find out what their name is. Find out. Just say, "Hey, how you doing? How's your kids doing? How's that?" Become a friend to different people, and then you're looking for that place where you can invite them to know the same Jesus. You know, so. What are the three things? Ignite, 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 invest, invest. invite. Awesome. Let's pray and let's dive into the Word of God this morning. Father, thank you that we get to study your Word. We pray, Father, that you would speak to us, unzip our hearts to become vulnerable to you. God, we don't want to be darn know-it-all people. We want to learn, be fresh with baby skin, Give us minds to love you, that we might love you with all of our soul, with all our heart, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we are in Genesis chapter one, and we are going to spend just three weeks in the book of Genesis. If I was stranded on an island and uh, I had to pick which passages of scripture, I could take with me onto that island, I would want the first three chapters of the Bible. I don't know how you understand the rest of the Bible without understanding this foundational part. So, we're going to do that for three weeks and then we're going to jump over because our reading, we're kind of behind in our reading. If you've been following our reading in Genesis, we're almost done with Genesis. Um, Then we're jumping over with our reading to the Sermon on the Mount, which is equally foundational. Jesus' first sermon to us as believers. But first, today, Genesis chapter 1. And by way of introduction, again, 4 o'clock this afternoon, if you want to bring your science questions, I know that a lot of people, every time I study with you the book of Genesis chapter 1, people come in uh, and they're armed. I can feel it. And I'm so sensitive to all of that. Some people are saying, I want to say yes to Jesus, but I don't know what to do with science. I love you. I'm glad you're thinking. We don't ask you to cut off your head to save your heart. You know, we want you to love Jesus with your mind. So you're thinking about that. Let's think about that this afternoon. But others of you come in, and you've already solved the tension. And you're armed. And you're saying, the pastor better say what I want him to say on how to resolve the intersection of science and the Bible. You know, I'm not going to do that. Uh, Four o'clock this afternoon, I will. But four o'clock this afternoon, the one rule is it's a safe place for everybody who comes. Right? It's a safe place for everybody who comes so that if I disagree with you you disagree with me we're friends right the Moravians said uh, that we were to major on the essentials right there has to be unity on the essentials on the non-essentials freedom in everything the love of Christ right in how we do it So, this is foundational because it's going to give you the nature of God in so many ways and God's relationship to us. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Now, I want you to jump down with me to verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Those are the creepy crawlies. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. When I read the book of Genesis chapter 1, what I see is a drama. Every songwriter I've known loves Genesis chapter 1 because it reads like a song. There's so many things that are, are just packed with, with the influence of songwriting. There's, in fact, there's so many words, there's so many phrases, there's so many days that are all in sevens, seven, 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 and the writer, very intentional, has built the entire chapter around the number seven which is the perfect number, the number of completion. And so there's this drama. Now, when I go to see a drama, Jan and I, every other month, we go down to Coronado, where a a Christian um, uh, theater group called Lamb's Players puts on this phenomenal theater presentation, and when I come, I sit down in my chair, and I haven't a clue as to what I'm seeing. We've gone to dinner. It's our date. And now I open this thing that they've given. I don't know if you call it a bulletin or a menu. What is it? Play? play Playbook? Playbill. Yeah. Okay. See? I'm an expert in this stuff. So I, there's the playbill, and I'm looking at the stage. I'm looking at the set, and I'm thinking, "Wow, that's a curious set. I kind of like how that. I wonder where we're going with the set. I'm hearing some music. Sometimes they have this little combo of four or six different musicians playing live, and I'm liking the music, wonder what the music is going to be a part of. And then I'm wondering, is it a comedy? Is it a musical? Is it a drama? Is it a murder mystery? What, what is it going to be? Now, sadly, when we open the Bible, we often don't do that. We open the Bible like it's a dictionary. I wonder what the Bible says about this. <laughs> there, there. I wonder what the Bible says about this. <laughs> and we often... Don't read the context. We don't read the milieu. We don't read the entire thing that this passage is trying to say. And unfortunately, in Genesis chapter 1, it's been especially true because we've got a science book in the left hand and we're trying to force the Bible to fit the science book or trying to force the science book to read to fit the Bible, which the intersection of those two are important but that is not what this writer was thinking about when he wrote, so what was the writer writing writing about? So number one, to prepare ourselves for this drama that we're studying here today, ask ourselves, what is the intent of the author? What is he trying to say? Tim Keller said, how does the author want to be understood? Now, because we are the me generation, we don't think that way. We think, what's in it for me? Well, fortunately, today, I've got something really big for you. But the question needs to be, what is the author trying to tell me in this presentation, in this section of Scripture? And people oftentimes get it wrong. I was remembering a time when someone came to me and said, the Bible's wrong, I can prove it, therefore Jesus isn't the Son of God, therefore blah, 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 blah. I said, what's the passage? And they said, Jesus says in Mark chapter 4 that the mustard seed is the smallest seed on earth. And that's how it reads in the Greek, literally. Now, if Jesus was trying to make a scientific statement about plants... You would argue, ah, caught him, red-handed. But what was his intent? Was that his intent? Some people say, well, earth is actually speaking of Israel, and maybe it's the smallest seed, at least in Israel. And I just say, knock it off! (laughs) Jesus is using hyperbole to make a statement. He's saying, this seed is so small that if you have the faith of this seed, you can move a mountain. And we missed the mountain in interpreting it, whether it's the smallest seed on earth or not. So oftentimes we've missed seeing the intent of the author. And then discerning the genre. Is this a historical narrative? Is this poetry? Is this prophetic? Is this apocalyptic? Is this a letter? Is this a gospel? All of those are different genres. If I write to you a letter and I say, I could wring their neck. And then you take my letter to the police (laughs) and have me arrested because there it is in print. I would say, whoa, 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 whoa. I was using a hyperbole to express my frustration and, and anger. But, so you see, genre is very, very important. And then the milieu. I'm going to talk about milieu from two perspectives. One is the ancient milieu of pantheism. Milieu is the cultural environment that religion and culture have all created around it. And then I want you to understand your milieu right now because you're a frog in the beaker over the Bunsen burner and you are not aware of how this culture is affecting you. It really is. So the ancient milieu out of mesopotamia and out of egypt had multiple gods there's creation stories that you can go back and read one of them is called Enumelish, enuma elish that talks about all of these gods warring and then one of the gods has multiple gods inside of them her and that's how some things are created and 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 the creation story is made up of gods who are not above creation, but they're part of nature. And the way they create nature is through violence, through sex, through anger. And then we have this story. And you realize, oh my gosh, this is a jewel that stands out against the ancient milieu of the time that you're not serving a god who's part of the chaos you're not serving a god that is capricious and doesn't know the difference between good and evil you're not serving a god that it's a it's a cyclical thing that never ends you're serving a god that has a big be- that gave this world a beginning and there's an end there's a direction called salvation history it, it's amazing the difference. And then in our culture today, we are in a postmodern milieu, and I don't have time to unpack that for you, but two of the areas is one is secular humanism. I always throw people off by saying I'm a Christian humanist. It's, it's true. It, it's, it's been a term for hundreds of years, and that is that we find our definition in the Imago Dei, in the image of God, and God has created every single person. We'll end there this morning. But oftentimes, in secular humanism, uh, we just tell people, you're special. Compared to what am I special? (laughs) How am I special? Well, you're a snowflake. You're, you're special because you're unique, and it feels good in a Hallmark card, but then you go home, and you're lonely, you're deple- depressed, and it's just not working for you. We want to know, I am special because of something, in relationship to something, and that's where we'll end up this morning. The other thing that's a part of our culture today, one, just one other thing, is purpose and meaning, From the 10th grade on, in secular uh, school, we teach our kids that the only meaning in life is the meaning you give it. Well, for the all-stars, that works. I'm going to go out and give meaning to my life. But for a lot of us, is that it? You mean... We go through all this pain and heartache and the only meaning in life is what I decide? You mean I am the pope of my own meaning? Oh boy, are we in trouble. And there were times in my teenage years where I didn't want to keep living if that was all the meaning that there was. But I have good news for you that we have a message to our culture in our milieu that is different than that message. So now that I've pumped you up and prepared you for this drama that we're gonna watch together, let me... And by the way, the other thing we tell people is uh, that your significance is your beauty, your brains, and your bucks. And, you know... Some of you are beautiful. Some of you are brainy. Same, some of you are bucky. <laughs> but not all of us. And we'll give you, from this passage, significance that outshines all of that. So let's go quickly through the dramatic days of creation and read it as if we had baby skin reading it for the first time. So the curtain rises... And it's as if you're a part of something that has already begun. You've seen plays like that, right? You're getting on a train that's already moving. It feels that way when you get to verse 2. So verse 1 is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Seven words in this first uh, sentence. It's seven Hebrew words, and it's a complete statement. In the beginning was not a war for between the gods who had various degrees of power. In the beginning, solo uno, God. God shines like the, the Washington ma- Monument sticking right out of the mall in Washington, this thing that stands out, no other God. Only, Can you imagine what this was like? in the ancient East, to hear that there was only one God. Are you kidding me? And he made everything. Heavens and the earth. It's a merism, which is a uh, literary, literary term to describe everything from A to Z. It's not saying, well, he only made two things. He made the heavens and then he made the earth. That's the only two things. No, it's saying he made everything from the heavens all the way and everything in between to the earth. That's who God is. Wow. When Jesus says, I'm the alpha and the omega, he's not just two letters of the alphabet. He's everything from A to Z. So... This great statement is made, this great proclamation. And I love the word, God created. Think about that. He is the master artist. Read Genesis as if God is an artist rather than some Wizard of Oz bulbous head mad scientist making these things. Think about God as wearing a beret with a paintbrush in his hand or his sleeves rolled up and he's sculpting. This. It, it, it's how it, the word created has this sense and you'll see God separating and dividing and creating. It's, it's very action-oriented. So God creates everything and then God begins to speak but first verse two now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of god was hovering over the waters this is the part what feels like we're just getting on low whoa, whoa 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 first he made everything and now what happened How, there, the earth is formless and void so the earth is made it, 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 it there's nothing on it, or there's nothing around it, and it's dark, and there's deep waters, and the Spirit of God, it says, it was hovering, and the word hovering can be translated fluttering. So it's kind of picturing some kind of, you know, like a seabird or something like this, and the word for uh, the Spirit of God is ruach could be translated the wind of God. So there's this sense of primordial something going on, but out of that, God begins to speak. Now, it is not saying that matter existed before God began to create. It's not saying that at all, because we already know that God created the heavens and the earth, right? Some people see this as evidence of the gap theory, that there was a huge millions and billions of years gap between verse 1 and verse 2, that's uh, all hypothetical. Um, It's just a way of trying to suppose how do you deal with an old earth, Uh, but that's not what the passage is necessarily saying here. It's just allowing us to start midstream. So scientifically, often, that creates tension for us because, wait, 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 wait. I want to know what happened first. I demand it. <laughs> or are we going to read the Bible as it reads? So this, there's darkness, there's void, there's emptiness on the face of the earth, but the Spirit of God is not a part of it The Spirit of God is not under the influence of it. The Spirit of God is in control of it. You could stop right there, and that's worth the price of admission today. How much darkness, chaos, void do you see in your life sometimes? I mean, if you don't have any, you've never driven on the five. (laughs) And I need to know that God is above it. I need to know that the Spirit of God is above what's, what hasn't quite become what it's supposed to be, right? All things work together for good, right? So we come to verse 3, and God begins to speak. By the way, for those of you that uh, are literary people, there's a great devotional by Madeline Uh You may know that name from the A Wrinkle in Time her fiction, but uh, most people don't know that she's a phenomenal nonfiction writer. And uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed over the years her And It Was Good. She's actually got a Genesis trilogy. And the way she starts out the story is she's on a freight boat with her husband sailing down the west coast of South America and a huge storm comes up. And she thinks the freight ship is going to just be snapped in half. And it's just boom, boom. And she's reading Genesis chapter one. And you realize, whoa, it's kind of like that. What is God going to do? And God said, then God said, let there be light. All these phrases that you read here, uh, and God said is spoken nine or ten times, but the refrain, let there be, there's seven times, and there was is seven times, and it was good is seven times, and God separated is seven times. All these things have lyrical song-like purpose to the structure of Genesis chapter 1. And so he speaks. The power of the word of God. Boom. Now in magic, words are used, incantations are used to control nature and to control spirits. That's why the Bible frowns upon it, because that's a misuse. And it's actually a, a mockery and a cheap imitation of what God did. That God spoke, and it happens. Now, you're in the image of God, and so you are creative. I know a lot of you don't think of yourselves as creatives, but we're all creative in some sense because you can think about something, you can imagine something, and you can say, let's do this, and you go do it. But none of us can actually take out of nothing and speak it into existence and that's the power of God. Jesus comes, eventually, John chapter 1, and he is the word of God. And he is the living expression of the word of God. But here we have, in, in the early form of God letting us know his great, great power. So, he creates light. Now, here's the first disturbance, and we won't note all the disturbances, uh, people are disturbed when they see the creation of light before the creation of the luminaries. For us as humanoids, if there is light, there is a source to the light, right? If, if you saw a light that was moving downstairs in the middle of the night, you would think, ah, an intruder with a flashlight, is going through my house there's always a source here the source of light that we know the sun and the moon are not created till day four well that's a problem (laughs) relax relax you're not the one writing this story So, who would be the source of light? The one who made the light. Who is God? Actually, we know him to be spiritually light. uh, And he's described as light many, many times. This is a period of time at the beginning of time when there's no distinction between the spiritual and the physical. It's, It's all combined together and God creates light. And then he says that he saw that it was good and he called the light day and the darkness night. To call something and name it in the ancient world gave you sovereignty over it. So you're going to see God name things and then Adam and Eve name things, well, Adam names things in Genesis chapter two and it's, a proclamation of sovereignty, of I'm in charge of the day. So if you can picture a canvas now and God says, let there be light and he separates and there's already, the canvas was dark, right? And then he says, let there be light and he separates the light from the darkness on the canvas and that's what we've got so far and he says, Good. Tov is the Hebrew Very good So the song continues And here's where we got to pick up And you need to do your homework And go back and read it And absorb it But day two He creates the expanse Called sometimes the vault he, And he, separ, he separates again The clouds from the water We don't think of clouds normally as water, but when you live in a farming community where you're dependent always on water, clouds are actually more important than the ocean. So he separates the waters like that, and he calls the space in between sky. Then, on day three, the land and the sea are separated. I see some of you frowning. Are you okay? You're, you're, what's going on here? Um, so, day three, the land and the sea, and there's actually two things that happen on day three, just like there's two things that happen on day six animals and humans. On this, he, he creates the land, separates the land from the waters on the canvas, and now the first thing that's placed in one of those spaces is vegetation. It's the first time we have something placed. So if you can picture your canvas again, we've separated the light from the darkness, now we've separated the land from the water, and we've separated the waters before that so that there was sky. So isn't that, how many of you are fine artists? how many of you are not so fine artists <laughs> all right so you've done something on canvas and you you don't start out with the little bunny in the front <laughs> right you don't start out with the farmer standing there with his pitchfork you you start out with the sky and then you start out with the land and then you build the mountains behind it and you you build Put the clouds on the sky, and you're coming forward. And it's exactly how it's portrayed right here. Day four, the luminaries. Only this is going to tweak your painting a little bit because, because there's darkness and light on your painting. We put in the dark space between the clouds, we put the moon. And in the white space between the clouds, we put the sun kind of a schizophrenic painting here. <laughs> but because the ancient creation narratives out of the Mesopotamia worshiped the sun and they worshiped the moon as if they were gods, the writer of Genesis doesn't use those names. He just calls them the greater light and the lesser light. We're not going to worship those things. They're just the greater light and the lesser light, very poetic, then on day five, he speaks to the water, and the sky, and now you get your fine brush out, and you get to put, you know how you do the, all the seagulls, you just do those little loops, we're filling up the sky with birds, and now we're filling up the ocean with creatures, and then we get to day six, and the land produces two things. He says, speaks to the land and tells the land to produce living creatures. And it includes, he breaks it down, between wild animals, livestock, and the creepy crawlies that some of us wish he didn't create. And then... We come to the creation of humans on day six. And then there's this conclusion in rest, and rest. And Genesis chapter one goes all the way to verse three of chapter two. Remember, it was arbitrary. Whoever did the, the breakdown was just wrong. It reads all the way to verse three of chapter two. So there's this methodical ticking that's going on, creating this, creating this, creating this. Now, I want to take a moment to just review what you've just heard, because it, it may make some sense to you. If you go to the next slide, you'll see how this is all broken down. Uh, he creates the background on day one, two, and three, and, and then begins to create the particulars on day three, four, five, and six. So you have light, but you don't have luminaries until day four you have sky and seas then you have on day 5 the wing creatures and the sea creatures and then on day 3 you have him creating land and also vegetation remember i told you on day 3 and 6 there's two both have two things that are created and then on day 6 matching with day 3 on the land he creates animals and humans it's exactly the way anyone would think as they're thinking through the creation and they're realizing God created everything and he did it orderly he did it masterfully he did it like an artist he's in charge of everything now we get our scientific mass well I want to know when the armadillo was made you know, and I don't see that in the book of Genesis, and I've got, you know, and I'm just trying to help you, little buddy. <laughs> All of this is truth. It's absolute truth telling us that God made any, everything and it did it beautifully, He did it in order, and He is in charge. But now, because we want to read the Bible as it is written, not how we want it to read, right? Just nod your head if, if you're in agreement. So what's the culmination of this drama that I'm watching? I'm so glad you asked. Because when we get to verse 26, guess what? The whole narrative changes. The rhythm The language, the meter, everything changes and God huddles up within the complexity of who he is. Later we can say that to be the Trinity, but we don't know that yet. We're just in Genesis 1. It says, then God said, he doesn't say let there be. And there was. There's something more intricate. There's something more personal, something more intimate he says, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness. What? Image. The primary worst use of the word image is for idols. These shaped, sculpted, or carved Wood or stone beings that represent some deity, some God. And he's saying, let us make living images. Then he clarifies it and uses a synonym and says, our likeness, us, our, our, this complexity and plurality of God let us make them and let them rule and enumerates all the different things that he's created in these spaces. And then the writer, as if he's stunned by what he just penned, he says, so God created mankind in his own image. And then he says it again, in the image of God. He created them. Unless you think it's gender specific. Male and female. He created them. And then he blesses them. And asks them. To be fruitful and multiply. And to rule. Folks this is big, this is big, this is big. This is where you find your purpose. This is where you find your meaning. This is your true north, what God has called you to do. He may be called you to be uh, a train engineer. He may be called you to be a housewife and mother. He may have called you to be uh, the president of the United States. But none of that is as important as what he's called all of us to do and be. The image of... Of God. Imago Day. It's bigger than your feelings. It's bigger than how your father treated you when you were being raised. It's bigger than all your base hits and all your strikeouts in life because someone bigger than anyone, God, has defined you. And you need to tell yourself that every day. Because not everybody thinks you're amazing. Not every school teacher, not every boss, not every spouse is going to greet you every morning saying, well, you're kind of amazing, aren't you? (laughs) But you are the image of God. That is why you are so significant. Profoundly significant. Now, some people have argued that the male and female is telling us that the, the two parts of God, the feminine side of God and the masculine side of God, are expressed, and that you and I can't be complete unless we're with someone of the opposite sex to be married, and then we are completely the image of God. And it sounds really good, it works on a marriage retreat, but you try that in a, you try teaching that to a single retreat. Say, you are only half of the image of God. And some of us will never marry. So what do we do? Well, my whole life, I'm only half the image. No, that's not what it's saying here. In a male-dominated world, right in chapter one, he's saying we are all male and female created in the image of God. Whoa, throw your shoulders back. Put up your hat. And and soak in that significance. Now, I wouldn't suggest that you go around saying it to everybody, like in an interview. (laughs) And and who are you? None other than the image of God. (laughs) Although it does work if you need the person sitting next to you on an airplane to be quiet. When they shake your hand and say, I'm Bill, what's your name? And I said, the image of God. (laughs) (laughs) On an elevator, they give you a lot of room. (laughs) So what does it mean to be in the image of God? Oh, my gosh. It means so much. One is that you and I have a unique... And this isn't in your notes. You have a unique capacity. You were created with a unique capacity to relate to God beyond the animals. That's why we have this longing. C.S. Lewis says, if I have this longing for somewhere else and someone else, I can only assume that there is somewhere else and someone else. Because I I have this longing that nobody else satisfies. You have that capacity to relate to God. God. To ignite your soul in his presence. And number two, some way, in some way, you and I are like God. It's not physical, thank God. But in some way, you and I are like him. And I think it has to do with his character. It has to do with love. Love. And then thirdly, we are created to rule. That is, to to be ambassadors representing the ultimate king. We are representatives, king man, king woman on planet Earth, representing God. So that means I, I need to be careful how I represent him. And I need to be careful how I take care of this created world. I tell my friends that love to argue about uh, climate change, whether they're blue or red on the subject of climate change, and I say, you know what? It really doesn't matter for a Christian because we're called to take care of this planet. That's just who we are. That's just who we are. We care, and regardless of what you think the science is saying, we care about animals. We care about this planet. And we care about other people. So if I'm significant, if I have meaning, and in some dormant way, the character of God is in me, and most of you that have read the New Testament, you know how the story ends. Jesus comes in the full image of God. Our image is marred. At the fall, Jesus comes in the full image of God and now by the Holy Spirit is remaking us into the full image of God. And when we see him, we will be like him or we will see him as he is. That's the whole hope that we all have. But in the meantime, even if you see someone who is completely marred the image of God, chapter nine of Genesis warns us about murder because Every single person is the image of God. Listen to the words of C.S. Lewis. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, exploit. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. Whoa. In a cancel culture, I don't like you, don't like what you think, don't like what you say, you don't exist to me. It's not possible, right? It's not possible to walk by the pers- person that's been uh, robbed and beaten on the pathway because I'm not just the good Samaritan. I'm the image of God, and they're the image of God. It's not possible to deg- degradate another person based on race, color, creed, anything. It's impossible because the Bible tells us that we're all made in the imago day, the image of God. And Lewis goes on to say that if we saw each other, how we will ultimately be remade, that we would be tempted to bow down and worship each other. You have never met a mere mortal. Wow. Genesis chapter 1. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your word. God, we want to take this home. Steeped in this truth, in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? So, just to think about what we've covered. I mean, we covered like thousands of miles. God is an artist, who's created this world. The world is enchanted with the fingerprints of God, with birds and flowers and trees and fish, all made by Him. That you're sitting next to someone full of dignity and respect. We have hope because we're not under the circumstances and and the void and the darkness because we have a God that's bigger than that and He brings purpose. He brings order to your lives. He loves you. He's personal. And he says, let us create. You hear the personal language. Everything he made in the passage is good. God don't make junk. Creation care. We didn't get to the Sabbath rest. Seventh day, it's there. In the new creation, God is working in your life. He's up to something big let's sing together thanks for listening this week if you're looking for ways to serve give or get connected please visit our website northcoastcalvary.org